Welcome to the very first episode of the Third Space Podcast. My name is Faiza Farah. I will be your host. This podcast will be a weekly podcast. I am just so excited to be able to share this with you. These are really bizarre and difficult times, and I really wanted to create something that um, allowed us to feel more connected to each other. I'm hoping that this this podcast um, can serve as your virtual friend, um, and it will feel like you're listening into a conversation amongst friends. If you want to follow our work, please check us out online. Um, you can find us on Instagram at the underscore third space. And without further ado, let me introduce our very first guest. Woo! Our very first guest is Minle Golakai Agri. She is a phenomenal woman and the author of The Art of Weed Butter. She's also an interdisciplinary cannabis entrepreneur, legally working with weed since 2005. And through her visibility, she hopes to shift the gaze to Black women in the cannabis space. You could imagine why I'm so excited to talk to her about her work. We talked to her about her experience as a Black American woman living in Mexico City. We talk about her new CBD company that she's about to launch. Um, and then all of the beautiful stuff and crazy madness that we reflect on during this time. Uh, I hope you enjoy this episode and uh, thank you very much for joining us. Welcome to the very first episode of the Third Space Podcast. (laughs) I'm so honored and excited to be a part of this. This is this is massive. Congrats! Thank you so much. Um, Well, I will be your host. My name is Faiza Farah, and I am recording from my um, little apartment in Paris, um, in France, and I am joined by the lovely Minle. And and where are you? right now in the world. I am in my closet in Mexico City with lots of books and blankets to make it sound juicy for this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Um, Well, yeah, we we've been having a heat wave here. So my I'm I'm in the living room of my apartment, and um and it's there's a big time difference between you and I, um and yeah, I feel like I'm in a bit of a closet myself. But um, I'm so excited that you are the very first guest. Um, I wanted this conversation, the first conversation, to be with someone that I consider my friend, someone that I admire, mm-hmm. and um and I guess let's let's begin with um. Maybe you telling us a little bit about yourself, um, maybe from the beginning. Where where did you grow up? Um, where are you from? And what brought you to Mexico City? Yes, um, I am a, a daughter of immigrants from Ghana and Liberia. And 
I was born in Staten Island, New York, and my father actually decided to go back to West Africa. My mother stayed in the U.S. So we grew up, I say we because she was a younger mother, and I feel like we grew up together. And I'm sure you feeling the same thing as a mother. It's like you are you grow with your child, right? It's, um, But we were in Baltimore, Maryland, outside of Baltimore for a while, and um, also central Pennsylvania where I went to school, which is kind of random. And I, I think I, I know, (laughs) I think I took that notion of bouncing around, um, to heart and it has sort of become a part of, uh, my journey. You know, we met or yeah, we met in, in the Bay area in California and before then I lived in Humboldt, um, and then back to Brooklyn before coming here. So it's been quite a, a jump, um, but I've been here for about five years and it feels good. And it also feels um, trying and a challenge. And like I'm new, brand spanking new many times. Um, and I'm sure that's something you can relate to. How's it, how's it been in Paris? You know, it's been uh, it, the wildest thing just happened. I'm looking out the window and just saw the biggest uh, lightning bolt. Um, it looks oh, wow. like we're about to have a storm. How exciting. Um, it's been, it's been wild, you know, it's been, um, uh, I I've had kind of a similar upbringing in terms of bouncing around different places. Um, mm. I, I, my parents are, are Ethiopian and I was born in Saudi Arabia and then went to boarding school when I was sounds way more glamorous. It was just like a Catholic uh, boarding (laughs) school Um, uh, until I was about like six or seven. And, and so, and then after that, my family moved to Canada and I, I ended up moving to, to the Bay area for college and Mm. spent a large chunk of my life there. I'm in France now because my, my partner's French, my husband's French, and um, we have a little baby and, and we live here for the time being. And, and honestly, with every place that I've ever moved to, there's that moment in the beginning where it's like, oh my God, it's, it's, it's so massive and, and right. scary and there's so much that's unknown. And then when you have enough cycles of that and that new thing becomes the familiar thing, you, you tend to, to trust that eventually you'll get to a place where it feels kind of familiar and yeah, I just never, never would have imagined a city like Paris that felt so big in my imagination would, would feel this intimate. So, uh, and also, but also really kind of big and scary. (laughs) No, but I love Um, that sort of like trusting, you know, that, that pattern and that, um, that life pattern that you've gone through and recognized and sort of overcome. Um, I love that. That's a really good way of, of thinking about it. And how long has it been since you've been in Mexico city now? I have been here for five years. I think this fall will mark my sixth year. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's kind of, I think it might be the longest that I've lived in a specific city. Um, so that's groundbreaking, I guess, for the, for a Gemini with five planets in Gemini. Right. <laughs> Such a cliche. Um, yeah. 
and and so I know that part of the 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 substantial part of the work that you do is around um, cannabis and 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 it's been something that you've been doing uh, for the last fifteen years. I, I, I think I, I read that um, that you are a cannabis interdisciplinary. What does that mean to you? <laughs> I know it's kind of ballsy to say I when I first entered the cannabis space and quote unquote industry, I started as a cultivator in the Bay and that lasted for about six or seven years. And I, I shifted out of it um, and started writing more. And later on, the sort of freelance writing, like before content creation was really a thing, I was sort of doing that along with content creation for some cannabis brands. Um and also did a little bit of consulting and um, where we are now sort of starting a, a CBD brand. And I think those various aspects and disciplines that aren't necessarily affiliated with any sort of um, academic institution, but really just me teaching myself uh, these various disciplines of um, within the cannabis space. And so that's I think the only the easiest way to describe having all of those facets um, under the umbrella of cannabis. You know, I, I think now, since we're seeing in the United States more and more the legalization of cannabis, there is still that kind of huge uh, moral dilemma of mm-hmm. people still uh, black and brown folks still in prison for something that um, that a lot of um, corporations are going to be making um, just a shit ton of money, you know, and to be a black woman in that space uh, in this moment, what, what does that feel like to you? And and what are the things that come up for you? Yeah. You know, the statistics have been the most disheartening and the um, very potent reminder of where we are as a industry, there are approximately 4.5% of Black folks that have um, executive roles or leadership roles in the industry, about 3% Black women. And it's, I think, when you're on social media and connected to certain to other Black women and other um, just women in general in the industry, it's easy to assume that we have a, a large stake in it, um, but we don't. And as we all are either beginning to realize or have already known for years, you know, especially Black folks, Black men are um, in prison up to 10 times more likely for cannabis, even though at when it comes to, you know, racial differences, we all kind of consume it at the same rate. And that, again, those numbers um, just really hit hard and it makes you feel like you're often holding on to your, like, to your dear life um, to exist and to to maintain um, my space and to take up space in the industry. Um, I, I don't want to sound so melancholic about it but mm-hmm. it's it's there are still moments um and things that clients will say or or acts that clients might perform um that just remind you and pull you back into uh 
um, I guess exactly, exactly. Thank you for that. You know, I've said it before and I've, I feel like I need to just say who they are to stop throwing shade without saying who they are. But I was, uh, I was contracted to do some work for a hemp seed company. It was just on the side, kind of almost like a favor to uh, another business partner and worked with the company, kind of decided to do an outline, get an idea of what they want, you know, what what are their philosophies when it comes to hemp and where are they at and what's their um, their history working with the plant. And we put together a couple documents and they were trying to kind of suss out what would be the best name for this company. And it took a couple weeks and they finally wrote back um, with the full list of names. And within that list, one of the names was Plant Plantation. Lord have mercy. And uh <laughs> I 2019. I mean, that was 2019. So that's kind of a realistic snapshot of where we are at. (laughs) You know, we laugh because it's just it's just absurd. It's Uh, it's out of this world absurd. But, you know, does it surprise me? No, no. Well, and that's what's so crazy, because if, if people knew that what they were doing was provocative, I mean, mm-hmm. let, let me just say this, there are people that are trying to be provocative and and and, and will say the craziest stuff and, and, and they try to race bait and they know what they're doing. But more often than not, you have people that just think that their idea is brilliant right. and are completely unaware at, at the waves like the the kind of tsunami that is that would come to them if they chose that as a name, right? You know, like. Right. I almost told them, you know, you should probably pay me just for the fact that I'm telling you not to use Ooh. this as your brand name. Same thing their business. I know. I don't think they knew I was black. You know, I was working mm. with them here in Mexico. But I'm I'm sorry. Either way, Menle, Golakai, Agri. Who the fuck do you think? <laughs> I don't know if I can curse on this. <laughs> yes, I can. <laughs> Even if I'm Mexican, like I am brown, so perhaps not plantation. Um, uh, it's good to be able to laugh about it because there is that, like you said, there is a tsunami of of shit that they would go through, but also of of immense and deep um, pain that even that name and that word brings. Um, you know, so much so that even. I guess it's Rhode Island. They're taking out the name plantation because I think that's embedded in the actual name of the state. Right, right. Uh, so it's it's heavy, but I think claiming uh, my space <laughs> and my time, uh, I obviously dropped them as clients soon after that. But, you know, right. claiming my space in this industry has made me feel like I do have a purpose and I'm not just some... 30 something year old chick smoking hella weed every day, you know, it, it gives me that, um, again, that purpose. Well, you, you certainly have a stake in, in this industry because, um, you know, I was just listening to a interview with, with John Stewart and mm-hmm. he said something that was really fascinating to me about, I mean, just, you know, race relations in the United States mm-hmm. uh, in a post-George Floyd world. And um, he he was saying that 
that black people in America have had to fight to, to just have equality. So there's all this like wasted time, energy and, 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 and labor going towards having to validate our humanity. You know, mm. it's, it's the kind of distraction that Toni Morrison talks about you know and and he says well while black people in america have been you know fighting for equality white americans have been getting equity you know right and being able to build wealth and and all of the all of the effects of 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 being able to have wealth being able to pass it on generationally being able to live in neighborhoods that provide good schools uh being able to not have the the mental physical stress of poverty yeah. and 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 so on and so on and so on and so you know hearing hearing a black woman say that she's starting a cbd company it, to me is like, well, well, fuck yeah, that's exactly it. You know, mm -hmm. that's exactly the way to do it. And, and the numbers are really dismal, you know, when, when we think about like the access to capital that, that black founders have, it's, 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 um, and, and then to, to be a black woman, I mean, the numbers drop even, even more. Right. So just, just being able to, to exist in this space and still be here is such a defiant act. You know, mm. it's just such a defiant act. Um, I, I'm curious about um, about your book. Um, I was able to get your book uh, that I'm really, really excited Aww. about, um, "The Art of Weed Butter." Um, <laughs> what inspired you to to write a book, and and how did you how did you come up with the recipes and and what did that feel like being able to kind of publish something within an industry that you've devoted 15 years of your life to? You know, if I'm, if I'm honest with you, I wasn't very excited about writing a book, a cookbook about weed butter. I was like, what the hell? This isn't a memoir. This isn't, <laughs> this isn't highbrow. Um, and and I think that's my Virgo moon side. And so that's a whole nother thing. But I I had to recognize, number one, the the privilege to just be able to write a book about anything. Um, that was huge. And the fact that um, the small publishing house in in Berkeley, Ulysses Press, um, I worked with them to put out the book. And, it, you know, kind of just a, a, a very... The Art of Weed Butter is a sort of casual um, guide to cooking with cannabis and infusing cannabis, whether it's butter or ghee or vegan butter, oil. Um, you know, I really just wanted to be able to infuse different types of food that that weren't just brownies, you know, but everyday right. food that I was eating here in Mexico or in the immigrant households of the U.S., you know, um, like plantains and and fufu. I mean, that's fufu isn't in the book. Maybe it'll be your second one. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, feud, food infused with cannabis has had such a long history um, an association with healing our bodies and our minds. You know, you think of bong, um, and it being consumed in India for for centuries. And, right. you know, I think food has such a um, strong connection to us culturally, and it has such a beautiful way of showing us where we've been and where we've come from. And um, 
I just decided to to use that as a, a, a way to share that and to celebrate it. Well, I I really enjoyed um, the book. I, also, it was just visually really beautiful as well. Oh, to I'm be glad you to, think so. Oh, it was really, really, really gorgeous to be able to be guided um, just with you and, 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 and to have that experience of having the really beautiful visuals and, and, and the recipes. I loved it. Um, I Thank highly recommend for it for it. folks who are listening. <laughs> um, how are you quarantining by the way? Oh, I am just staying mostly at home and working from home, doing a little bit of meditation when I can follow through with it. Um, taking some walks, you know, I am here in Mexico, a privileged person, right? Coming from the U S having education, being able to, to shelter in place. And, um, and that's a very real distinction. I think even in the U S right. I'm sure in, in Paris as well, those who can quarantine are, and, um, those who can't are on the front lines and and making sure that, you know, we're all fed and, and have all the things we need. Um, but that's, it's been kind of hard to grapple with, you know, um, Mm. sitting in that place of privilege and feeling like there is so much happening, um, collectively, but we're also, we're so separate and, um, yeah, there's a lot there. (laughs) It really has exposed, uh, so much, um, inequity, you know, in our society. I, I, I too feel very, very privileged to be able to, to shelter in place and to have my family, um, be able to do the same and for us to be safe and to have food and to have shelter and to not really like worry or stress about money. I mean, these are all really, really, you know, huge, huge privileges. And, um, and, and also there, there is like, um, you know, a psychological impact to like being in the same spot and not being, you know, and, and having the fear of like getting something and not knowing how your body would react mm-hmm. to, to a disease. Um, so having to navigate that, that guilt that you were mentioning earlier and, and also the fear and the anxiety that comes with having to deal with like a, a global pandemic, you know, mm-hmm. it's, um, it's a strange, it's a strange time. It's a strange time. Um, one of the reasons for why I really, really wanted to chat with you was because I, I was having, I was having a lot of, um, thoughts and, and, um, and again, a, a kind of like guilt about, um, about being away from the, the U S, um, during, during this moment that feels like, it's different. You know, this moment feels like, um, from the moment the murder of George Floyd was captured and, and, and put online and we got to see it collectively without any distractions. Uh, I think for black people, you know, this, this video is a video that is a part of a long line of videos that have been so traumatizing and terrorizing to Mm -hmm. our community. Um, But for some reason, uh, the, the kind of collective 
um, uh, I would say like just maybe uh, it, it went from being a story that is shared on your Facebook wall to a national story. Yes. Um, and and a, a part of me felt like like a, a huge sigh of relief for not being in the United States, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and instantly feeling like you know my son is one years old, you know, and and it's he's he's just so lovely, and and thinking about like bringing him into the United States and thinking about all of the parents that have children with all the birthdays and and soccer practices and report cards. And then to have that child be murdered, you know, it's just, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's devastating. It's devastating. And, and a part of me felt so grateful to, to just be away from it. And then, and then the wave of, of, of guilt comes after that. Right. Right. But there's a, there's a, a very kind of specific vantage point that you get when you're out of the country. And I'm curious if, if you have been able to, to look into the United States from Mexico and, and see something different. Absolutely. I had a, like a little, I don't know, video cocktail hour with some friends here in Mexico, some black friends here in Mexico. We really intentionally wanted to connect and sort of check in and see how we all felt. Um, with with a spirit <laughs> to sort of help elevate us a little bit. And yeah, there were a lot of, um, you know, echoes of, I feel like I'm disconnected to the movement and what's going on and what we should be doing. Though I, I do know, and I can speak for all of these people, you know, we are active in our communities and have been beforehand when it comes to either speaking out or, um, you know, donating, signing petitions, uh, volunteering, what have you, and just, again, being Black and resistant. Um, And there, I'm grateful to have the sort of irresponsibility um, that it is to be an American, you know, and to sort of, I guess, either when regardless of the day it is either confirm or deny whether or not I'm in it because when I step out onto the streets it's it's not the US it doesn't have that same electricity and mm. i've been thinking a lot about why is it that i feel safer here in mexico and that i can breathe more and um that i chose to be here and i think even though like much of the americas you know mexico is not immune to racism especially considering its long history with the enslavement of Africans, um, there still is uh, a lack of extreme violence when it comes to Black bodies. Um, It's not to say that the government doesn't um, mistreat, you know, its citizens with violence, um, but I think there is just that difference in, um, in that history. And there's also... You know, I have to say there's a certain level of denial that is probably most certainly extending to this moment. Um, you know, there probably are a lot of people who may or may not know what's going on, whether or not they have access to, you know, certain um, news organizations that are going to even cover what's going on in the U.S. But but I think um, it, it's interesting to be set apart from 
the U.S. during this time, but also so powerful to, you know, personally for me, continue diving deeper into the research of Blackness in Mexico and what is the history of of the racial, you know, racist structures in Mexico and how does that affect me here and how do I sort of change that um, in whatever way, you know, I have the capacity to. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of like the swirl of <laughs> of thought. No, it it absolutely makes sense. Uh, you know, it uh, it 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 is um, a resistance to be able to um, to be able to kind of live and and try to live as freely as you as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think I think it's important for for all of us to not have this sense of guilt it's it's kind of like a survivor's remorse that we're all experiencing exactly you know um and and the truth of the matter is 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 if you are black and 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 have any kind of consciousness you have been engaged in in battling these systems all of your life all of our lives yep exactly and so yeah, I, I appreciate that now that there are, you know, large communities of white people that are kind of awakening to, to something that we have known, um, for a long time and, and feeling inspired to do something. Um, but there is a kind of exhaustion that some of us has, you know, oh, yeah. and I have such a deep, you know, uh, reverence and, and, and respect for the black activists that have never let up, you know, right. They're the reasons why we are here today. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, 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 uh, and I, I hope, you know, I hope that there is something that is different and it does feel like, you know, anti-blackness is, is a, is a global, um, issue. Um, it is something here in France. I mean, one of the largest protests that I've ever seen, um, post George Floyd, the, the sister of Adama, who was a man four years ago that was murdered by the police, an African, uh, a man, a French man of African descent. And, um, and his sister has been kind of on the front lines trying to keep his name alive. And, and, um, and in response to George Floyd, she organized a, a protest to honor her brother and to, to protest the death of George Floyd. And 120,000 people showed up to the streets in Paris. Wow. And it was such a, just a beautiful showing, you know. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing about France is like they really don't oftentimes acknowledge their their problem um, with racism. Right. And as a black American woman living in, in France, I am... I, I I don't actually get to experience a lot of the racism that is oftentimes um, experienced by young um, North African or West African descendant French mm-hmm. folks. You know, mm-hmm. um, I'll walk into a place and maybe they might follow me. If they hear my French with a an American accent, they suddenly they suddenly see me as a wealthy person that right. has the you know, capacity to travel and, and the orientation is completely different, you know? So I then get pushed up into a, a class that, that allows me to be treated in a different way. Yep. And, and so, yeah, there is, there is a freedom that I have, that I experience here. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm not fearful 
that every interaction that I have with the police is going to be a violent one. Um, and quite honestly, my interactions with the police are pretty minimal. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but in the United States, it's like I drive my car and I mean, all of us have so many stories of just being stopped or mm-hmm. getting guns drawn out. And, and so, yeah, there is, there is something that, uh, that feels good in, in a twisted way of being kind of alleviated from the American brand of racism and, and, and entering another brand of racism that doesn't <laughs> impact you in the same way, you know? Right. Right. And it's important for me to like, you know, acknowledge the pain of, of, of French people that are here that, that really experience and, and, and have that kind of racism leveled at them on a daily basis. Um, while being in a privileged capacity. And again, one of the first times in my life that I've experienced like as a dark skinned black Muslim woman, you know, experienced the kind of privilege, you know, right? because of my class, because of the class that I belong, you know, it's, um, it's, it's wild. It's, it's, it's really wild. Um, I wonder for you, if, if, um, if you've been feeling a sense of heaviness as well around the, the the murder of Breonna Taylor and the and the lack of of um, you know momentum for for her yes. and, and rally cry for her um, for her death um, as a black woman, does that you know did that hit you in, in the way that I imagine it did the rest of us you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I'll i say it, I'll chime into what you said, right? Anti-Blackness is a plague that affects the U.S., Mexico, Africa, Asia, the entire globe. Um, and then layered on that is is sexism and is uh, genderism. And, you know, to be, to be a dark-skinned Black woman is, um, is to oftentimes be the most neglected, right? and the least looked after. And you see that sort of in the way that um, Breonna Taylor's case is being handled. And you you see that maybe in our exhaustion to continue, like you said, rallying for her um, with our loudest, you know, cries. And it's... It's so hurtful because it brings you back to that place where you know that you don't matter, right? Um, I'm sorry. I didn't think I was going to no. cry. <laughs> uh, no, it's- it, I, I think a lot of us, too, feel so... Uh, it's it's I feel disheartened and I feel like my hands are sort of tied um, being here. You know, I can sign petitions and continue calling the police department and the Congress people. Um, I it's just a lot to process, and it's something that we have that we aren't new to, right? This has been going on for for a while. Um, all of our lives and we're trying to navigate um, how we continue and sort of push forward while uh, 
while exalting her life um, and all the all the lives that have been ripped away. Uh, I I know there was something I was going to say, and then I got emotional and completely completely forgot about it. But well, yeah, I understand. I, I you know, just chiming in on what you said about this idea of classism and blackness, and how you can sort of bounce around within classes when you come from the U.S. and come from education um, and move to another country. And when I first started talking about my experience with anti-blackness in Mexico, people were like, ah, that's not it. It's, it's, it's classism. It's not racism. And obviously it, it's wrong <laughs> and obviously they're, they're parallel. And so you, it's, you can't really all often separate the two, but moving here was one of the first times ever that I felt that shift. And like you said, that, that elevation up to a, a more freeing class where you're free to, go in and out of different um, communities, you know, and, and levels of wealth. It, it's also been, uh, I, I think the anger that I feel for Brianna and the anger that I feel for a lot of our ancestors um, has been sort of tempered. I mean, you know, the rage that I have has kind of, been healed by again researching and and trying to figure out this vile historical pattern we have and and where it started and how it how it transferred and and how it's it sort of shaped itself to where we've become today that's that's kind of been my uh my place of recluse in a strange way to just really um dive into the history of of why we are where we are today you know i'm i'm a little tired of reading about enslavement and african enslavement it it, it wears on you but right. but there's so much power in that in knowing right well and and also there are you know there are so many references we have of black women that have been disregarded but but still resisted and 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 did it for all of us i mean when you were when you were talking about your experience and and the pain that comes up because of the the lack of of um of a response for Brianna Taylor, I, I was thinking about Sojourner Truth and mm-hmm. and and the "Ain't I a Woman" statement, that speech that she wrote, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like, you know, if if we are if we are, if we have dignity and and we are human beings, um, doesn't the fact that that you know things harm us like doesn't isn't that important for people to know don't don't people care about that mm-hmm. and when when her death happened and, and happened in such a kind of violent way um it, it 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 breaks your heart to know that like you know uh it just doesn't have the same response and and um i think about because that's the that's a really violent example but i think about all of the many ways you know that that violence shows up in the lives of black women in all the small ways and and, and all of this kind of the, the karen meme culture that's happening now right i mean i love the fact that we are 
naming who they are and and making their lives stop you know and having for them to 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 kind of face the their their racism and their privilege um but can, can, can i mean just think back in your life mm-hmm. you know how many times people like that have obstructed something in your life you know right and how often you have to try to make those people feel safe you know because if if someone like that feels uncomfortable then they could they could bring like a world full of 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 pain in your direction and so you know uh i think i think also i think that's probably what's so beautiful about you and 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 the way you live your life you know to to be a black woman that is free autonomous and is is living in her purpose i mean what a tribute to to all Mm. those women you know I hope so. I mean, I think it's what a lot of us do, why why we do what we do, right? I mean, it's it's like Young Jeezy, every time I do it, I do it from my hood. I love that song and I love that sentiment of, you know, this isn't just about me. This is just about literally making my ancestors proud and making all of those before me proud because they can't be here or they haven't been able to or they've you know, or they're Breonna Taylor and have been, um, you know, their futures have been stolen. It, it sometimes feels celebratory too, to particularly, you know, speaking about living in Mexico. I, I think a lot of times when you think about Mexico, you don't think about black folks, right? It's just not in, in everyone's mind. Um, But one of these sort of I I love the facts and I love these historical little nitbits and I've become like a nerd for them but it's so fascinating and I, I think it was 1517 or I'm sorry 1570 or maybe 1580 but there were more Africans present in Mexico modern day Mexico City than of Europeans and, yeah yep I think something like maybe 20,000. It doesn't seem like a lot, but, you know, we're talking about the the late wow. 1500s and there were, I don't know, maybe about 6,000 Europeans. And, and, and that was, of course, after, you know, nearly 200,000 um, enslaved Africans sort of arrived involuntarily and, and developed communities and et cetera. But to, to know that you would see um, like a thriving Black population and, and sort of be outnumbering the Spanish and the Europeans um, just feels so incredible. And when I have those moments, um, those low moments, right, where you're just not in the mood to engage with anything, especially white supremacy, uh, right. that that is such a, a a build it's such an uplifting uh stat and and reminder um and are there any kind of uh, is there is there a residue of the afro mexican legacy in 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 mexico city right now is there a community or um you know part of the food or the language or any part of the culture that still kind of is alive and well absolutely i I think that to be Mexican is to be African and and 
indigenous and European. Um, and you see that, like you said, within the botanical legacy of food that, you know, was brought over and ways of cooking it, um, different types of seeds and how they were transported. But I think going back to something you were saying earlier, there there's this strange and 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 actually very sad reality that out of the you know 1.3 i think million of people who identify as afro-mexican based on the census they tend to live in the coastal towns they tend to live in these in these towns um that are close to kind of where their ancestors came and and where folks of afro descendant um uh where Afro descendants sort of first arrives, and it's 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 largely due to the discrimination they know they'll get when they come to Mexico City. Um, oftentimes, those of African descent will make that trip to the U.S. border, the U.S.-Mexico border, and would rather try their luck there than to come to Mexico City. I mean, that probably has changed maybe a lot since. Um, this disgusting, vile presidency that that we're seeing in the U.S., but but that often it, it puzzles me because when you see black folks in Mexico City, in the center of the country, oftentimes they are from the U.S. or um, or other parts of the Americas or Europe, right, um, or even Africa. But there's a small, very small sediment of, of West Africans sort of in the very south of the city. But yeah, again, oftentimes those of African descent will often be in those coastal towns of Veracruz, Oaxaca, Costa Chica. Um, yeah. But the legacy is is so strong and is so inspiring, especially when it comes to cooking and, and the cookbook and even a couple side projects, you know, you look and you taste certain things and you're like, wait a minute, that, oh, yeah. that yeah, is that something that I, yeah, <laughs> that tastes like home. That smells like my mom's kitchen, you know? Mm. Um, and that, that is, that gives me so much joy. It gives me so much joy, especially when I tell, you know, these abuelas at, well, when we used to go out to eat, <laughs> <laughs> um, but there, you know, there are these fondas where it's just, it's kind of just like an extension of an abuela's kitchen and you know you get a meal and a drink and a salad and soup for maybe 200 pesos and in certain times there's certain soups and olas and ollas um and sauces that just remind me and take me right back to to my mother's like west african cooking and i know that i need to research it and like ask them questions about it and you know we're sitting there in the kitchen for like 15 minutes trying to figure out like where the spice is and where'd you get it from? And, and again, like that's, that's, that's my kind of way of nourishing um, myself in, in those moments, but there is so much legacy. Um, I think we all can probably recognize it in music, um, basket weaving, different types of artisanal things that um, we might know to be Mexican, but it, it, more likely than not, is a, a sort of fusion of those of African descent and indigenous folks here. I have a kind of unusual question. Do you have a um, a phrase in Spanish that mm. you're tickled by or that you like or is, is funny to you? Um, I'm finding that as you're for me at least as I'm learning French there's always like these weird things that come up where I'm like oh that's so funny um uh here for example like if um 
they have this expression called like yogurt basically. And it's when <laughs> somebody tries to sing um, like English lyrics and they don't uh-huh. know the words and they kind of just like finesse it. Like they have a mouthful of yogurt in their mouth. <laughs> it's the funniest thing. It's the funniest thing. Um, but yeah, any, any kind of expressions in, in Spanish that you've learned that you probably don't get to learn when you're like in a classroom. Right. Spanish, you know, right. I can say that there's, there's con cuidado, that's sort of like with care. Um, you know, it's sort of like a way of saying taking care. I've been saying it a lot lately, especially during the pandemic, you know, even to people that you're, right. you know, having just minimal exchanges with. Um, it's it's not as funny and it's not that that similar, you know, way of describing something very specific. Um, but there is something really tender about that, you know, something that you would just say to strangers. Um, I also love, again, when you would see people on the street <laughs> and talk to folks and like exchange. But, um, you know, if you're getting out of a taxi or something or or just even leaving a group of people, you would kind of say descansar. And that's to just like rest. You're like literally telling them to go rest and make sure that they're oh, getting rest. And so it's uh, it's uh, and I think it's it's so potent right now because rest for especially black women and black femmes, we need it. We really need rest. Um, We are so exhausted and um, emotionally drained, even if it's for the the good of our own communities. Um, Yeah. Do you have any rituals? Do you have any resting rituals? I wish I did. I wish I did. I think that's where cannabis or weed or whatever comes into play because it gives me that moment to sort of stretch time. And within that stretch time, I think that's when I tend to either play music for myself with, you know, go to the records and like pick something out, um, maybe water the plants or check in and see how they're doing and maybe like grease my scalp and kind of – but they're just little quick pockets of things. I, I'm not – I'm not that great about having a full on ritual. And I, I think I can be better about that. What about you? I think, Curious. Well, uh, yeah, there, there's small things, you know, right. I, um, especially since like, you know, in the beginning of the stay in place and, and just having this confinement, um, I, we weren't really able to leave our apartment. Right. And so, finding the the sunspot in in your apartment and kind of laying on the ground is for me has been like it's been such a grounding experience because you feel you know you feel the heat and and that connection um but then you also like get to be on a hard surface that you can kind of let go and 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 let it just kind of hold you and and that really is like all of two minutes before my son starts to crawl over my face. You know? <laughs> um, but, but yeah, you know, self care does look different for us. And, and it's, it's really important. I think one thing that is, is something that I, I try to be really mindful of is like with, with our heroes, whether they were, you know, the civil rights leaders or, or um, or musicians like like Nina Simone. I mean, they were they were tormented by mm-hmm. by 
the the world that they that was forced upon them you know right. and and caring for themselves was really an afterthought you know yep. and i i know that for us to have anything that sustained uh, black women and, and as you were saying black femme folks have to really rest and care for themselves and it looks different for for us it, it's not it's you know it's not uh i don't know sitting in a bubble bath or getting a massage right. or you know it, it might not be like that you know yeah. um i've been listening also i think i i mentioned this to you in a message but i've been listening to the the girl trek podcast um mm-hmm. for anyone that's out there listening i highly highly recommend this podcast it's started by two phenomenal black women one that's based out of um dc and the other uh founder um based out of Accra, ghana and to see and to listen to two black women kind of create a podcast that's mm-hmm. really just a 21 day uh walking meditation and and it's a uh a, a black history boot camp and and they focus on um uh, uh black women and uh, black femmes and and uplift their stories and and so it's it's sometimes it's a silent meditation sometimes uh you or every time you get a little bit of history about each person and it's i mean it's shocking because you think you know Right. about some of these icons, you know, but they unearth some really interesting details. But what's beautiful is like their mission is to to get a million black women uh, walking for 30 minutes a day, you know, mm-hmm. so their podcast is 30 minutes. And, and just to just to think about like, you know, I'm sure just me asking you, like thinking about what are those rituals that we have that keep us going when it's so important for us to to be a part of this movement, but this movement doesn't go anywhere unless we are we're whole and we're healthy, you know. I I find with everyone's journey there are these two things that come up, you know. And one thing that comes up for me is like what what one lesson was kind of the hardest lesson for you to 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 learn hmm specifically living here i think i've really been challenged by what is a different sort of cultural context and what is my inability um, to really understand or translate what that means, you know, coming from a different language that that has been hard for me. It, if I'm if I'm completely honest, even picking up and mastering Spanish has been, you know, it's been slower than I would than I would have loved to, to have been. Um, and that has a lot to do with, you know, how much I'm speaking English at home and during the day and even if I'm immersed and et cetera, et cetera. But yeah. but recognizing where I sort of have to check my uh, American um, culture to the door when it comes to speaking about certain things here in Mexico. Um, that that has been huge for me, and and that kind of manifests in a lot of strange ways, even when it comes to access to things. Um, whether they be cultural or tangible or, you know, um, uh, things to purchase and consume. 
but that has been it's it's been a hard one and it's one that i'm i think is giving me more grace um the more i i recognize and continue to learn from it um yeah you know that's that's uh, i i completely uh, sympathize um learning french and french culture in, in general there are so many things that are so different and and the language is is so dense and really beautiful and um and oftentimes when you come from the United States, an English-speaking country, there is a kind of um, linguistic supremacy that you come with. And oftentimes people want to practice their English with you or right. you, can, you can go anywhere in the world and, and speak English. And you may, you may find someone that speaks English as well, you know, right. um, certainly in Mexico City and certainly in Paris, you know, so it makes things really, really difficult. I, I know <laughs> I know someone that like pretended to be Russian so that people could just speak to her in French, you know, oh, that's um, smart. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it's, um, it's like a way to really, really immerse yourself. Also, we were so hyper connected that like, even right. though we're not in the United States, um, there is a way that social media makes us feel really connected to our American folks, mm -hmm. you know, so mm -hmm. we're still very much plugged into a, a culture while also, you know, submerged in another. Um, so I completely understand that. And I, I think it's just like, I think it's, it really is like a, a matter of, of time and, yeah, and intentionality absolutely. and ease. And I've been trying to just like watch films in French with like English subtitles and listen to like podcasts in French and uh, try to like devote, like, I can't do a day of French with my partner, you know, mm -hmm. but I, I can do like for dinner, let's just speak French. You know? yes. I can do yeah. like a meal, you know, <laughs> um, and that's where my, my level is at. Um, the next thing I wanted to ask you was what's something that you've had to kind of unlearn an old idea that just no longer is, is serving you. Ooh, chow. That is <laughs> that is one that's that's very deep and it it might even sound trite, but I am almost forcing myself to unlearn that I'm not enough. Mm. Um, you know, you it, I know that I'm I, I'm enough, right? At least that's what I tell myself. I know that I'm capable and and all of these things. Um, but for so long, that has been um, sort of, you know, chiseled into in, in my brain. And and um, yeah, I I sometimes just have to sit back and say, okay, you you did your best, and your best is probably really good. So just. <laughs> So, so just chill. Just let that one go. You know, whatever that is—an email, work, um, uh, you know, an argument, or a, a feeling of guilt or resentment towards somebody. Um, yeah, I think knowing that not only myself, right, as a as a physical person um, with this body being enough, but like my brain and and the way I think and, and the way I explain myself or speak or, or communicate or love or hate, you know, I, 
I think all of that um, is enough, and I'm really thankful to to finally get it through my damn skull. <laughs> mm. Well, and, and that's the thing. There's like a difference in like intellectually knowing that you're like, of course, everyone is enough, you know, of course. And so therefore I am a part of every, and, and I am enough too, but like having a real bodied experience and understanding that on, on a really deep level is, 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 an, is another thing. It's, it's part of, yeah, it's part of the work. Right. You know? I mean, I, I think for a long time too, I confused humility with sort of, um, disrespecting myself or allowing people to in a sense and it, that's that's just not it like <laughs> that's not humility it turns out no no, <laughs> no it's uh, not <laughs> yeah yeah that's a that's a really good one to think about and yeah it's a it's a good um sort of mantra in a sense you know well, Minley, I appreciate you so much for being the very, very first guest. Um, uh, I was telling this to you over message, but, you know, being able to like interview someone and like chat with people that I care about is, is like one of the callings of my life. And, oh. and when I told you that I wanted to do this, you were so enthusiastic and so encouraging and, and. I, I appreciate you watering the seed and and sharing your time with us. Um, so thank you very much. Absolutely. It's such a pleasure. I miss you. And it's it feels really good to be able to chat and, and catch up. And for those that want to follow what Minlay is doing, her Instagram handle is at M-E-N-N-L-A-Y. I'm also going to be giving away a few copies of her book. <gasps> so if um, you're interested and you want to enter to win uh, a copy of her book, um, just kind of repost the podcast on your social media um, and tag myself and my Instagram handle is at F is for Fiza, F-A-I-Z-A. Um, and we will get that book out to you. Thank you again, Minlay. I appreciate you. I love you. Be well. And what was that phrase again? The 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 thing that you say to folks <laughs> um, when you want to wish them well. Ah, uh, con cuidado. Okay, <laughs> con cuidado. Oh, thank you so much, Fiza. <laughs> Such a pleasure. Love you so thank much. Thank you. Love you. Love you. Okay. 